We all say? All right. So uh, just a quick uh, note here inside, or uh, parenthesis, if you will. Uh, today, I was not supposed to be preaching here. Actually, uh, Pastor Eric was supposed to be preaching this morning. But unfortunately, um, Jocelyn's grandmother, Jocelyn is his you know, wife, passed away. So Eric and Jocelyn wanted to be present with the family to serve and do you know, whatever they can. So please pray for them. Uh, pray for the family. Um, and well, you get to hear me again. You know, that's just what it is. Um, so we are, we, are, we are doing this series, uh, this Advent series that we have called The Gift. And what we're doing is we are exploring why is it that the incarnation of Jesus was such a gift to us? Why is it that the incarnation of Jesus, him becoming a human being, was so important to us as Christians? Um, and just in case there's anybody out there that doesn't understand what the, the term incarnation means, it mean, literally means God becoming a human being in Jesus Christ. And in him coming to save us, but also to give us all the benefits of that salvation. So what we look, we're doing through this series, actually, is looking at some of those benefits that flow out of our salvation in Jesus Christ. So, so far we have talked about hope, we talked about love, and today we're going to talk about joy, which was interesting, um, because I had this conversation about me coming over uh, today with Eric on Friday. Um, so usually for preachers, that's not how that works. Um, so, you know, this, what we do as preachers when something like that happens, you go back and look into the material that you have already preached at one point in some other place, right? And then you contextualize it and you modify it for where you're going to go, right? Interesting enough that the passage that I was looking at is the passage that we just read uh, for the candlelight. So I'm going to ask you to please stand and we're going to uh, read that passage again as a family. Um, and if you are here with me, could you please say, I'm here. Yeah. All right. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. And we're going to be focusing on the shepherds, but I need to give you the whole context there. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. And there were shepherds living out in the fields ne nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and laying in a manger. Verse uh, 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared uh, with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those uh, on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into, into heaven, uh, when the angels had, yeah, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us. Is that where we are? So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. Uh, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, 
He was named Jesus. The name the angel has given him before he was conceived. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray. Lord, once again, we pray that you speak to us. Allow us to see not just Jesus as the giver of joy, but he himself being our joy. And we pray in the name of Jesus. And we all say, Amen. let me take a seat. So today we're going to, my three points for today, we're going to see the shepherds. First, we're going to talk about the shepherds. We're going to see who they are and why it's so significant that Jesus, um, that actually the angel spoke to them and something else that happened there. Then we're going to talk about their experience. I want you to see some of what, what was happening and why this was so significant for them inside, right? And then we're going to talk about their transformation, the result of that encounter, the shepherds, the experience, and the transformation. So if you're still here, say, I'm here. The shepherds then. Um, and let, me, let me just start by this. What comes to mind when you think of a shepherd, right? So uh, I, I don't know about you, and I asked the same question, similar question last week when I talked about the sheep, right? But I think that we have the same behavior or uh, the same assumptions when we think about shepherds, right? So I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about a shepherd, and because I'm a Christian, right, and I have all this uh, being um, conditioned by all these religious pictures and songs and things like that, even when we sing these beautiful songs that we sing as church, when I think of a shepherd, I always go back to the same picture that I mentioned last week for those of you that were here. is this picture of Jesus, you know, walking around uh, with, he, with the sheep on his shoulder, and he looks so gentle, so beautiful, so amazing, all that stuff. So I have transferred that idea of a shepherd to all the shepherds in the world, right? In my mind, shepherds are, are that, gentle caring, you know, because the shepherd leaves the 99 to go look for the one got lost, right? That's right, sister. That's only Jesus. So the idea is that when we think of shepherd, we actually got to try to, to uh, change the way we think about to truly understand why this was so significant. So let me paint the picture then. What a shepherd in those times in that context, was like as much as I can. So number one, these were, um, you could say, uh, rough men. This was not the gentle, typical guy, you know, kind of a, a preacher thing, you know, patient and loving and all that stuff. These, guy these guys were people that grew up thinking that the only way to survive was to cheat and to steal and to do whatever they had in order to survive. This is usually the explanation, historical explanation of what a shepherd was in those days in that context, right? Someone that didn't have so much the appearance of gentleness and love, actually. It makes sense that if you're living outside the city, if you are part of the forest, if you will, these are people that are always, most of the time, dirty, people that are rough, thick skin, if you will, people that are maybe, maybe, that's what scholars say, they were not as gentle as we think they are. And actually, if they're dealing with a stupid sheep, the way they spoke was not as understanding as we would like. 
Actually, some scholar says that their vocabulary was aggressive and grotesque and even insulting. So picture someone that this is where they live. This is what they do, right? They're not in the business of impressing anybody. Actually, they were in the business of intimidating people because of the way the things they did. Now, if you were here last week, I exp- oh, maybe I didn't do this explanation, but usually what happens when one of the sheep uh, goes away, it's not like if the shepherd goes after the sheep and starts calling the sheep, please come back, please come back. Actually, that transaction is an aggressive transaction, if you will, right? So they go after the sheep and they got to wrestle this thing and bring it up, re- uh, lift the, the sheep back and then bring it back. So picture an animal that is stubborn, huge animal that is stubborn, that does not understand that it's in danger. And the, rabbi, the, the, the job of the shepherd is to wrestle this thing, lift it up, and come back. That doesn't seem like a picture of a very gentle, thin, caring shepherd. The motivation might be right, but these guys are something else. Now, some people um, seem to think that because of their lifestyle, because they live outside the city, because of what they do, many of them were uh, prompt to addictions, you know, alcohol, and who knows what kind of different drugs they had at those, you know, during those times. Maybe to try to forget how miserable their life was. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, to ignore everything else that they're happening. Maybe just because that's how it is for many people, you know, that's what you do. So this image of a shepherd that is really struggling. You know, when I was writing this, this is last year, by the way. When I was writing this, uh, I just happened to be uh, watching a, a thing with my daughters. Um, what was it? Uh, Maleficent. That's what it was. A show in, in Disney, for those of you that have little kids, Maleficent. And there's the key song of the, of the show says this. They say I'm trouble. They say I'm bad. They say I'm evil. And that makes me glad. I'm rotten to the core. And I say, oh, that, that's the shepherd. And they're proud of that. That's the context, right? Hardcore, insensitive, socially awkward, immoral rejects. That's a shepherd. Now, check this out. Historically speaking, Shepherds were considered to be worse than a leper. Now, if you know anything about the Bible and what a leper was, in that context and that society, a leper was the worst of the worst. This is the reason why when someone got sick, and they got leprosy, they had, they had to kick him out of the city. And they had to be in a place until either the, the sickness will go away or that person will die over there without social interaction. That's all in the Old Testament. It's all in the New Testament. And what scholars say is that many of these shepherds were considered to be worse than a leper, which is crazy. Actually, there's a reason why in the text we just read, they're taking care of the sheep outside the city. It wasn't just that that's where you get the grass and everything else they need. It's that that was a purpose thing. Rejects are not part of us. Rejects got to be out there. This is the reason why Jesus was crucified outside the city. So keep that in mind that our Savior 
die where the, in a place where shepherds live. Now, this is the most irony, ironic thing. When I was thinking about this, um, I'm still shocked by it. So shepherds are taking care of the very animals that were used for people to be forgiven and accepted. They're taking care of the same animals that people will come to buy so they could go to the temple, do a sacrifice, and find forgiveness. And everyone has access to that except one group, the shepherds. I mean, they could have done it. Yeah, I'm assuming that they could have done it if they wanted to, but the idea is that this group of hardcore, insensitive, socially awkward, immoral rejects are people, most likely people, hopeless and for sure, for sure, without joy. Now, why give you all that explanation? It's because if you want to feel and understand the weight of this event, you have to pay attention to who they were. So read to me again, verses 8 and 9, and it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields near nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And some people seem to believe that this is uh, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, because it's the same angel that he spoke to Zechariah. Right? It's the same angel that appeared to Mary. So most likely it's the same angel. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, it's important that we keep in mind what the word glory means there. It always means the same thing, but the, the word glory in the Bible is used in different ways depending on the context, right? But the word glory here means this unique or special presence of God. Not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense in which people feel the weight of God, the presence of God, the splendor of God, the beauty of God. Shepherds. Hardcore, insensitive, socially awkward, immoral, rejects, hopeless and without joy. This is the people God chose to display his glory. I don't understand that from a human perspective. Why would God? Check this out. Why would God, out of the four groups of people that are part of the Christmas story, so if, if you read the Christmas story, you got Zechariah, you got Joseph, and you got Mary. Now pay attention here. Joseph was a righteous man, the Bible says. Uh, I'm sorry, Zechariah was a righteous man. Joseph is a just man, and Mary is excellent. That's what the Bible says about every single one of them three. Yet none of them got to see the glory of God the way the shepherds did. Don't you find that interesting? I find that amazing. God shows his glory, his beauty, his splendor, his magnitude, his everything about him. And he shows his to the people that are hardcore, insensitive, socially awkward, moral rejects, hopeless, and without you, without joy. Why would God do that? 
And how is that related to the Christmas story? I think that the answer is super simple. I think that for us that's so important because every single one of us has a shepherd inside. Every single one of us, somehow. Some of us here are hurt by things that have done to us. Some of us here have hurt others by the things that we have done. Every single one of us struggle with something. Every single one of us at one point or another feels inadequate. Every single one of us have been rejected somehow. Every single one of us feel insufficient at times. Every single one of us at one point or another feel like a disaster. And yet the Christmas story says that Jesus comes not to improve the good or to fix the okay. Jesus comes for those of us that are completely broken, completely ruined, completely needy, needed, uh, needy and in complete disaster. That is the beauty of the Christmas story. That Jesus comes and displays his glory. And I will make my case why is it that I'm saying this in a second. Uh, he displays his glory to people that are just like you and me. Not for the social and religious acceptable, but for everybody else that is not acceptable. That is the uniqueness of this story. This is the reason why Luke chapter 19 verse says, when it talks about Jesus, that he says that he is the son of man that came to seek what, uh, to save the lost. To save you, that you are a shepherd, whether you like it or not. That you are a shepherd, even if you put your nice outfit and put cologne or perfume, whatever you put on. Inside, we look a lot like those guys. And the good news, according to the text, is that Jesus comes to do that. You know, um, so let me share a little bit of my immigrant experience. Every time I think about this stuff, I have to think of, about the immigrant experience. Um, because as an immigrant, anybody, actually, you go to a different part and you will feel part of the world and you will feel the same thing. That's just how it is, right? There's always this feeling of inadequacy that you have, you carry with you. This is not something given by God, by the way. This is just what we carry, right? And whenever I think, for example, when I started pastoring the church, I realized, Iglesia del Pueblo, I realized that uh, I was not the only one. All, my, all, all the members of my church at that time felt the same way because you, you're always kind of the outsider, right? So actually, when I was driving over here, I was thinking about this. Um, in my case, it's actually a, it's, it's kind of unique. It, everyone that is a second generation, 1.5 immigrant feels the same way. So because I came here younger, right, um, I, I adopted some of my American lifestyle, right? Time goes by, right? And now I always find myself in the middle. I am way too, Lat I'm way too Latin for the Americans. And I'm way too Latino. I'm, I'm way too American for the Latinos. So this thing of, okay, so, you know, you feel inadequate all the time until the Lord starts working in your heart, obviously, right? 
But when I was looking at these shepherds, I'm adding all these struggles that I have, all my sins that I still carry, and all these things of being a, these people in the middle. And this passage, the Lord has used many, many, many times in my heart. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 on. In which Paul says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many, were you, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were, were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world to despise things. Listen, those are better than good news. Those are the best news. You know why? Because if you're a shepherd and I'm a shepherd, we qualify. We qualify to be recipients of the glory of God. Don't need to work for it. Don't need to fight for it. You don't need to buy it. It just shows up. Boom. And that's the Christmas story. That's why Jesus has to be more than just a good friend. He has to be more than just a motivational speaker. He has to be more than a self-help advisor. He has to be more than just a deity that we use or run to in times of trouble. He has to be more than a charm that we put away whenever we don't need it. He has to be the one person in the entire creation, in the entire universe, that was willing to come and display, and display his beauty, his glory, his magnificence, his weight to people who did not deserve it. Only God could do that. Oh, actually, only Christianity offers that. The Lord shows his glory to the worst of worst. The hardcore, insensitive, socially awkward, immoral rejects, people without hope and people without joy. And for those, Jesus comes. You know, the best thing that you can do for your heart is to start seeing yourself as a shepherd. The best thing that you can do for your heart. And not to say, oh, I'm a shepherd. No. It's, I'm a shepherd, but he came for me. That changes your life completely. Titles don't matter more. Accomplishments don't matter more. Things you have don't matter more. Nothing matters most. You know what matters most? That he came for you. Come on, church. Give glory. All right, now the story continues, and something weird happens in the story. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but point number two, their experience. Um, the Lord shows, uh, the, the angel speaks, and the Lord shows his glory, and then they experience two things at the same time, fear and joy, which for us as human beings, that's a paradox. What? Fear and joy, it's either fear or joy, but not both. What is interesting, though, is that when you read the Bible, every time the Lord chooses to show himself, it's always the same two emotions. These are pure emotions, fear and joy. And that's exactly what happened with those guys. Look at here in verses 9 and 10. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You know, the word terrified there is the word phobia in the original. You know what phobia is, right? When you're extremely afraid of something. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. So the question that we got to ask the text is, why is it that these men, these, all these men experience this fear? Well, from a biblical perspective, it makes sense. If you are this person that is really messed up, if you are this person that can see all the struggles in your heart, if you are this person that have all these sins, if you know that you are guilty, you're guilty because of the things you've done or you're guilty because of the things that you have not done. If you know that you are all of these things, if you were here last week, we talked about transgression and iniquity and all that stuff. If you know that you are these things and the glory of the Lord is displayed, God himself, his spiritual presence is there and he is holy. The most natural reaction in the Bible for someone that experienced the holiness of God is fear. You know why? Because on the spot, you know, that you deserve to die. All this process that I just talked about, knowing that the Lord came to you and loved you and all that stuff, it, it only makes sense if you know first that because you are sinful and God is holy, this thing should not be there. This is what you see all throughout the Bible, you know. Whenever the Lord appeared and the holiness of God is there because of his glory, then people will run and hide every time in the Bible. Every time you see that in the Bible. You know, that's, this is the reason why you see some people just saying, covering their faces. Some people running and hiding. Some people avoiding the presence of God somehow, supposedly, right? Because they know that this is holiness and this is sinfulness. But the angels, they do something here. Really interesting. Because, uh, or the angel does something really interesting because the first thing that he says is do not fear. Now, th this is the thing. What do you mean do not fear? This is God's holiness. I am sinful here. What, it, what does it mean do not fear? So basically the angel is saying you don't need to run and you don't need to hide. You guys remember Adam and Eve? They sin. God comes. What is the first thing they do? They run, and they hid. Now, before I explain, I, I want to do a little bit of, of a heart, uh, heart work here in, for a second. Because th that's usually the way we deal with our problems and our insecurities and our sins. We run and we hide. What you got to learn how to do, though, and I'll, I'll teach you why in a second, but what you got to learn how to do, though, is pay attention to what you run to and what you're hiding from. The reason why you got to learn how to do that is because that's actually how you see the magnitude of your sin. And then when you see the magnitude of your sin, you can see how beautiful and amazing God is. So, for example, if you feel uh, incompetent, uh, yeah, if you struggle, that you, you feel that you're not competent in what you're doing, right? Um, and you feel that you're not worthy. Usually, we try to run 
to things that make you feel that you're worthy, right? Someone puts you down over here, you go find a person that will tell you you're awesome, right? Because that's usually how we deal with this, this kind of stuff, right? The problem is that it doesn't matter how much you run. At one point, you get tired of running, and you still feel that you're not worthy. Right? So, for example, for other people, if you experience uh, bitterness or resentment, right, Either if it's with a person, we try to avoid that person as much as we can, right? Or we talk trash about that person as much as we can. You know, all of these things. The problem is that after you talked all the trash that you want to talk about, uh, how, as much as you want to avoid the other person, there's always one point, not only in which that resentment continues to grow, and then you do crazy stuff. If not, you could ask King Saul in the Bible. Um, but the other thing is that at one point, you cannot hide enough. You cannot uh, avoid enough. And the struggle is still there. So, for example, if you're lonely, the solution is to try to stay busy. I don't know if you ever saw that. Loneliness usually invites people to stay busy. You know what the problem is with that? How busy can you be? At home, you go home. You close the door, shut the light off, and you're lonely again. Now, you could, you could apply that for almost every single little thing. Years ago, I was watching this interview by Ricky Martin. I, I don't know if you guys know who that person is, right? Um, but he was talking about, um, by the way, some people call me. No, just kidding. <laughs> I don't want that name. But um, he was talking in this interview, and he's saying that the loneliest time in his life that he experiences is after a concert. Because he's being worshipped. Literally, by thousands of people. And we're in a bus. It's just him. And he says that he's the worst feeling in the world. So you know what the solution is for him? You go to the next concert. How many concerts can you do? The same thing is sadness. You know, people feel sad. You try to hide it by finding happiness somehow, pretending to be happy. If you feel empty, you try Hard work hard for accomplishment. If you feel pride, then you pretend to be humble. You know, there's all these things. This is the reason why the angel says, don't, don't fear. Don't, don't run. Don't, don't, don't hide. None of that stuff is going to deal and fix the stuff that you have in your heart. If you experience the presence of the Lord, the holiness of God, the presence of God, don't run. Don't hide because they will not, you will not be able to run fast enough and there's no place enough for you to hide. Don't do that. So the question is, what is it that we're supposed to do? And this is when he talks about the good news, which we're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, later on, right? But he says, don't do that. I'm bringing this good news to you, good news of great joy. Now, the word joy in the text can be translated as happiness, usually the word that, we, that is used there. The problem with the word happiness for me, uh, and this is only my opinion, so, you know, take it or leave it. But the problem with the word happiness for me is that in our culture and in our time, happiness means nothing. Right? I'm extremely happy. How do I know that you're extremely happy? Well, because I have this, and I have this, and I have this. So, Hannibal, are you happy? Of course I'm happy. Why? Because I have this, I have this, and I have this. Do you know what the problem is with that? That if that's the case, my happiness finishes the moment I lose any of those things. 
So I don't think that the word happiness is a good translation for the word joy. Some people translate the word joy as delight. I actually like that more. Um, enjoyment, but I would say like some sort of a spiritual enjoyment. Some people would think that joy is more like an, an ecstasy, if you will. But the problem with that translation is that, you know, that also goes away. I think that the word joy in the Bible, and on this hill, I'm willing to die. I think that the word joy in the Bible does not mean that this is emotional rush, or this is that you feel every now and then. Joy is this thing that is not bound to circumstances. Joy is this thing that is there even when everything hurts. Joy is this thing that you have inside when things go wrong. Joy is like a conviction and an inner sense that God is for you and God is with you. That's joy. And I think that the more we embrace that, then you start to feel it. Right? Because we're emo we got emotions. But I think that sometimes we put these things in, in, in the wrong order. I feel joy, therefore I, am, I have joy. And what I'm saying is, you have joy, therefore sometimes you will feel it. Joy is this inner peace, in a sense, that even when things are going wrong, you know, listen up, church, this is my, this is my sentence. This is, this is my conviction. Joy means that everything the Lord does and everything the Lord allows and everything the Lord brings and that everything the Lord uh, permits is for his glory and my joy. Always. His glory and my joy. So when I was studying for this, um, I heard about these British uh, shepherds that they have this technique um, to keep their sheep from uh, getting parasites and diseases and things like that. And it's, and it's almost the process is like they grab the sheep and they have this uh, big container with this, uh, you know, uh, antiseptic thing or all these, whatever they use, right? And they put the sheep and they dip it in, the, in there, right? And they leave it there for minutes. But they got to almost drown the thing so everything is covered from top to bottom, right? And every time the sheep is trying to get out, you know, they got these dogs that are always circling around. Their job is to bite them so they go back in the, inside. And you would say, man, that's awful. Not if you know that that thing is what is going to save them later on, right? That's exactly how it is for us. Everything. The Lord does. Everything that he allows is for his glory and your joy. And that then is what creates this sense inside of you, this conviction that even if circumstances don't change, you're still okay. So look at what Christmas is all about. It's about, it's about us recognizing that this holy God came to us shepherd, but that he came to us not just to show us the magnitude of our sin, but actually that because of the good news, he came to produce in us joy. I have a hard time understanding Christians who lack joy. 
with the definition I gave you. Now, that's not joy. It's really, really, even when you're weeping, this is Paul in prison. Paul writes from prison, knowing that he's, gonna, he's about to get executed, and he talks about joy in Philippians more than anybody else in the Bible. That seems like a contradiction, and it's not a contradiction. It's a biblical conviction. Don't you think that that's one of the reasons why the Jesus had to come? Is because we all want that, and we all need that. This is why Christmas is so important. This is the reason why Advent was so necessary. This is why Jesus not only gives joy, but he is joy. Which then leads me to point number three. How do we know that this is true? How do we know that Jesus came for the shepherds? How do you know that I'm just not, you know, being romantic here and trying to make it up here to see if, you know, everyone gets inspired? How do you know? How do you know that Jesus, when we, that we encounter God, you know, we experience this uh, fear because he's holy, but at the same time he's saying, listen, even though this is a reality, you don't have to be afraid, experience joy. How do we know? Well, the key is and that word that I told you, that phrase that I use in verse 10, good news. You know, that's the word that is used in the New Testament for the gospel. The good news is the gospel. So the reason why we know that this is a reality, the reason why we could be certain that this is Jesus coming for the shepherds, the reason why we know that even when we are afraid, we don't have to run from God, but go to him and experience joy. The reason why we know is because of that joy of, of the gospel. Look at what it says in verses 10 uh, through 12. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Stop right there. The reason why you could say that we can experience that joy is because we have in Jesus not just God becoming a human being, but God becoming a human being to become our Savior. The one that takes the punishment that we deserve. The one that experienced the wrath of God that we deserve. The holy God coming to hang, in our, to hang around with shepherds like you and me. He didn't come to fix our lives. He came to give us a new heart, a new mind, a new experience. Born again into his kingdom. A savior. Has born a savior, has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The promise in the one in the Old Testament. The Lord. God himself. This will be a sign to you. You will find, and then the story continues to go. Check this out. I told you a few minutes ago that it feels more like an hour ago, but that when, when the angel speaks to the angels and the glory of God is displayed, I started using the glory of God with Jesus and Jesus with the glory of God. And I was doing that on purpose. Because the glory, the way the, the shepherds experienced the glory of God was a foretaste of what they were going to experience when they would embrace Jesus. When the New Testament, not in every passage, but for most parts in the New Testament, 
one, you will find that Jesus is described as the glory of God. Actually, I could give you three. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says that the glory of God is displayed in the face of Christ. So if you want to see the beauty, the magnitude, the weight, the splendor, the holiness of God, you got to see Jesus. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 11, it says Jesus is the glory and the praise of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that the sun is the radiance of the glory of God. In other words, the reason why we can, be, we can be completely sure, completely sure that the Lord came for us, that the Lord came to save the hardcore, insensitive, socially awkward, immoral rejects without hope and without joy. The reason why we know that Jesus came for us, the reason why we know that this is a for sure thing. Uh, that God is, is for us and that God is in the business of bringing us, uh, giving us this joy is because Jesus came. He came to live and to die and to resurrect. That is the proof. And that is the source. Jesus is the proof that God is in those businesses. And Jesus is the source for our joy. Now, check this out. Verse 20 says that the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for the things that they have heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So they have this encounter with, with the presence of God, and then they go and find Jesus, and when they find Jesus, they experience this. How about if I tell you that we have more than what they had? So if these people experience joy by seeing Jesus in a manger, how about if I tell you that we have much more than what they had? You know why? They knew that Jesus was going to be a savior. But they didn't know how that was going to be accomplished. They didn't have the cross. We do. Which for me is just crazy. The glory of God nailed to a cross. The holiness of God nailed to a cross. The splendor of God naked and a cross. The purity of God completely ashamed on a cross. The perfect and holy God rejected. Outside the city. Being held in a place where the worst people live. And dying in a way that nobody should die. God's heart for you was so and so radical. His desire for you to experience joy was so radical that the glory became a human being to go to a cross. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 it says that Jesus before went to the cross he was it, it, uh, Hebrews as a pastor calls us to fix our eyes in Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him he endured the so, what brings us joy is to embrace and see Jesus. 
What brings Jesus joy is you. Forgiven by him. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Did you know that Jesus was thinking of you. When he went to the cross. The shepherds. Christmas is the best story. Better than shopping. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I, <clears throat> I know that sometimes uh, to feel that you are for us and to know that you are for us is hard. But the reality, Lord, is that the Christmas story reminds us that that is true. And that what you came to give us, Lord, is far better than anything else in this creation. And that the joy that we can have in you is far better than anything else. My heart, my heart for us, Lord, is that you, you allow us to see and believe in such a way. Not only that we are shepherds, broken people with a bunch of issues. And not only that you are a holy God that came to save us and love us. But that we get to see that Jesus truly is our joy and that we are his. And that we are his. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, 